This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Frank Cole at CFO SkyTap, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader. This is episode 624. I think at the most basic level, the key value proposition is real-time visibility. And so you're not waiting for someone to report the news to you. And I think um, finance leaders are are naturally a little bit skeptical in nature. And so you're not taking someone else's word for it that a deal will close. You'll, you're able to do all of that validation on your own with real-time up-to-date information. Um, and I think that's really powerful, unique offering. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Alyssa Filter, CFO of Clary, a sales operations platform. Alyssa tells us that Clary Management is now asking the question, what investments can we be making now that'll allow us not only to come out of this, but allow us to accelerate around the curve? Our interview with Alyssa Filter begins after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. We're speaking with Alyssa Filter, CFO of Clary. Alyssa, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. I'm happy to be here. We're going to begin, Alyssa, where we always do, which is just to ask our guests to look back for us and identify and supply some details about those experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. What, what comes to mind for you? So... I may have a little bit different of a background or a profile than the, a lot of the guests that you have on the show. So I, the, the very first role that I think set me up for a finance leadership role is um, an unconventional one in that I grew up um, a farmer's daughter on a farm up in Northern California, very, very small town. So my dad's a third generation farmer up there. And I started working from about the time that I could walk. Um, so started out by working in the garden, some point got promoted to whitewashing trees and then eventually picking peaches. 
Um, then uh, before I could even get a driver's license, I was on the tractors. And um, again, about the time I got my driver's license, I also got a commercial driver's license driving semi trucks. Um, and being that being part of that environment really built the core of who I am as a person. So not afraid of hard work. There's no quitting until the job's done. Um, having patience and seeing out uh, the output of your work, which in that case can take years. Um, working on the ranch gave me a ton of independence and autonomy because it was very often my dad would send me off to one ranch location um, to go do my thing for the day while he'd go do his. So um, a lot of problem solving skills came into play and just I was able to really build a lot of confidence because there wasn't a lot of opportunity for failure. And so um, built a lot of independence and confidence early on through that experience. Um, so that that role really was core to everything I've done thereafter. Um, and then much like many of your of your guests, I do have a background in public accounting. So uh, go fast forward past um, college. I, I started my career in audit. Um, but the next role that was really pivotal for my career was after audit. So I left audit to join one of my um, clients, actually. And shortly after I joined there, the CFO of the company left. And the CEO at the time really took me under his wing um, and put a ton of faith into me. And this was another example where I was just given a ton of independence, um, autonomy. Someone put a lot of faith and trust in me and um, really boosted me up and, and made sure that I didn't have much opportunity to fail. And that particular boss really um, was the most impactful on my career. So he put a ton of faith in me, but he also taught me a lot of hard lessons early on um, when I was pretty young in my career. And then um, after that, I worked for a couple of other companies that ultimately went back to public accounting, but as a finance consultant. And so in that role, I worked primarily with venture-backed technology companies. And that role was super crucial um, to where I am now. I got to work with incredible founders and teams. I got to see a lot of what really bad can look like and a lot of what really great could look like. And so seeing just a wide breadth of leadership teams, being able to uh, develop a point of view on what made the, them successful or not. Um, and ultimately, it it actually led to the role that I'm in now because Clary was one of my very early consulting clients. Um, so got a chance to work with the team early days before joining full-time about four years after that. Yeah, you know, I would think many finance leaders who have been consultants would tell us it's actually the preferred approach uh, nearly for entering a new employer. You don't have to jump in the deep side of the pool with uh, not knowing all of what might be in store for you, particularly in a C-suite position. How am I doing? Am I, uh, oh, do you yeah. agree with my characterization? I think that's absolutely accurate. I mean, it's really the best of both worlds for both sides. Um, we had a lot of time to build rapport. We had, during that period of time, we had a chance to see what both parties, how they behaved in times of stress, in good times, in um, times of uncertainty. And so you, number one, you, when I joined, I, we already had a lot of trust and had built a lot of rapport and a really strong understanding of one another. And that's 
super unique. I think it enabled us to really kick off the relationship um, and fast track all of the work that I got to do from the beginning because we had such a strong base um, from the consulting period. I want to point out that uh, what I think is interesting is that you came in from a different door from so many other CFOs in Silicon Valley companies. I mean, it seems like there's this ready bench of CFO talent that every venture capital firm has, has on the ready to fill these types of roles. Your CEO, uh, Andy Byrne, had something else in mind, clearly. How, yeah, I think that? you're spot on. It's it's pretty unconventional. Um, I would say uh, I have a lot. Uh, I owe Andy Byrne a lot, actually. I think he took a big leap of faith in me. Um, part of that, again, we had a chance to work together for many years and were able to build rapport. He saw my working style. Um, we were able to establish a cadence. Um, and I actually helped with the Series C fundraise just before um, I joined full time. And so I think I was able to prove myself um, both to him and the rest of the management team during that time. But I think absolutely there is a bit of skepticism from uh, the venture investors on um, someone with my background coming in um, as Clary's first CFO. Let's find out about uh, Clary now. I think it's a rather timely offering. We'll we'll discuss that. But tell us about Clary. What does it do exactly and what sets it apart? Uh, from competitors out there. Yeah, sure. So Clary is an AI-based revenue operations platform. So what that means, it provides real-time insights into every deal in the pipeline. Uh, It provides predictive pipeline analytics. And probably most importantly, it provides continuously rolled up forecasts. And so one thing I love about working at Clary is I'm actually a heavy user of our product. I think at one time I was like the second or third most active user in the platform, um, which is great. And so as a CFO, I'm always looking at different ways to validate the forecast and do that in a data-driven way. And so Clary provides multiple components of that data-driven validation. So as a finance leader, I naturally live in spreadsheets. Um, But when it comes to deal pipeline and forecast data that change frequently, by the time you get a spreadsheet in your inbox, um, it's simply out of date the moment it's created. And so Clary allows you to have that real-time continuous data visibility, and it allows me to triangulate those rolled-up forecasts from the sales team and then layer over Clary's AI-based projection, and then I can also take my capacity model on the finance side. And this really helps develop confidence in how we'll perform against the booking plan. And then having that confidence in the forecast and one single source of truth really facilitates collaboration across the executive team, which I think is a really unique piece of the product because we have a single pane of glass. Um, We're able to align around all of that data in the forecast and make better strategic financial decisions for the company. and so I think it's been really interesting in this in this particular macro environment. The forecast is more important than ever, and having um, visibility into the data in the forecast and having confidence in the forecast is is critical. And I think we're seeing more and more um, customers who are getting within um, a margin of error in the first couple of weeks of their quarter on their forecast leveraging Clary. 
Okay. Now, interestingly, we've been speaking to finance leaders over the last few years a good deal about uh, their pipelines and their lines of sight into those pipelines and how they're measuring the customer experience in, in different ways. Some of them have really you know, spent a good deal of their time trying to figure out how certain sales opportunities are maturing and trying to help share that information within the organization to, to help people understand how opportunities really, I guess, come to the surface. It, if I understand correctly, this is a, a type of offering or application that might assist them in doing that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Clary provides um, a lot of different ways that you can have visibility into how your deals are moving through the pipeline. So we have different analytics modules that show trended over time, for example, how deals at each particular stage have moved through the pipeline and offer suggested ranges. So for example, um, what, what, whatever um, nomenclature you use for your sales stages, but a later stage deal, how much coverage do you need in each of your deal stages in order to make your number based on historical conversions? So yes, Clary provides a bunch of insight into um, both uh, suggesting what your pipeline should look like, as well as historical view of how your deals have moved through the funnel. And then um, visibility on a deal by deal and aggregate rolled up level of how your deals are moving this quarter. Now, I never get too specific, really, when I'm speaking to finance leaders as to how they're, you know, what types of technologies they're using. So I don't really want to go down that path. I'm not a technologist. Um, but I know they rely a good deal on Salesforce. Is this an application that sort of works alongside their Salesforce app and, and what have you? That's correct. So we have a bi-directional sync with Salesforce. So we aggregate activity data from the reps all the way through the management layers. So um, file exchanges, email exchanges, back and forth with the customer. So we aggregate that data as well as the data that reps are inputting, such as close dates, um, anticipation of potential upside on a deal, et cetera, aggregating all of that data in the platform. Um, typically, we see that our UI might be a little bit more user-friendly than the Salesforce UI. And so um, a lot of, and we offer a, a mobile application that makes it really easy for reps and managers to change their data on a deal-by-deal -deal level on the fly. And then that will sync back with CRM as well. Now, you just explained that wonderfully, but um, I'm wondering what the, uh, the Cliff Notes edition might be. In other words, uh, you're, you're networking and there's a, maybe a group of four uh, finance leaders uh, comparing notes and one of them turns to you and says, what exactly does this technology do? How do you boil it down for them? What exactly would you, would you share then and there? I think at the most basic level, the key value proposition is real-time visibility. And so you're not waiting for someone to report the news to you. And I think um, finance leaders are are naturally a little bit skeptical in nature. And so you're not taking someone else's word for it that a deal will close. You'll, you're able to do all of that validation on your own with real-time up-to-date information. Um, and I think that's really powerful, unique offering. 
So uh, very often finance leaders might be a little blindsided, not knowing something is closed or something is still sort of lagging behind everything else. This offering might help give them that visibility that they, they haven't had. Yeah, absolutely. We assign a Clary deal score to every opportunity, and it's a it's a really quick way to have a visual indicator of the health of a deal. Is this deal trending well? Is this deal trending poorly? And so as a finance leader, you don't have to look at every single deal for the quarter, but you want to know how your top 10 deals, for example, are trending. You can very easily look at the platform look at the CRM score and say, how are my best deals for the quarter trending based on a variety of inputs and factors against that score and get an idea of what your risk is for the quarter. Okay. Well, I'm finally going to just turn it back on your uh, my attention to your finance function. I want to ask you now, again, you go back in time as a consultant here. So you know the team, no doubt, from the gr- ground up perhaps. I want to I want to find out uh, as you step into that CFO role, what is it? Uh, you know, did you reorganize things a little bit now that you were the uh, the C- chief? Uh, did you do things differently? What would you share with us about um, you know how you got the team uh, pointed in the direction you wanted? Sure. Well. Um, as you as you mentioned, I was in a little bit of a unique position in that I had been um, a consultant with the company since the pretty much the very beginning pre-revenue. And so um, I, ha- I have to say that uh, had a big impact on how the things were set up from day one. So um, thankfully, I, I did a pretty good job for myself getting that set up. Now, that said, we we're a really early stage company. Um, and as many early stage company CFOs do, um, I took on a, on a variety of other organizations that aren't traditional finance and accounting. So for example, HR, um, sales operations. And so it was really required to build um, new skill set and muscle there. And early on, just had to dive right in and get into the weeds um, and really understand what was needed in the company. And that experience really allowed me to be a better partner with the revenue teams later on in particular. Um, helping At one point, I was even helping reps create quotes just to understand what the systems, how the systems work, um, what types of support we needed, et cetera. So I would say um, the reorganization of finance really happened later on in the journey, not, not from um, the outset of when I joined. And so I'm super lucky. I have an incredible partnership with our revenue leadership, um, our CRO and VP of go-to-market. And um, one important component of that relationship is we've built our teams around our strengths. And it hasn't been like, oh, you only own that or I only own this. We've said, hey, my core team is really good at this piece and your core team is really good at that piece. And so Um, we've really built a strong support network of players on both of our teams that allowed us to cross functionally, um, uh, just have a remarkable relationship and support the organization in the way that made the most sense. And so that's really where the reorganization came along is later as we were building up our muscle in areas such as um, sales finance uh, related to sales compensation, for example, um, commission plans, building quotas, our deal desk function, all of those sorts of things is really where we um, started rethinking the structure of the teams. Which kind of 
comes into the the HR world as well um, and talent, which lately we've been reading a good deal about under the current economic situation. Um, and Clary seems to be hiring at the moment. Am I wrong about that, or is that? Uh... No, we, you're not wrong. We are we're hiring at the moment. Yes. And uh, I know that you also brought aboard a uh, chief uh, people officer recently as well as a finance leader. Can can you share with us uh, how your world and the human capital world are sort of intersecting? Yeah. So um, like you mentioned, we just hired a chief people officer. But until three months ago, um, I was also um, leading the HR teams as well. Um in the current environment, human capital is more important than ever. And so I think we may get to this a, a, a little later in the segment about um, response to the current environment. But one of the most important things um, that we had to evaluate and, and really understand is where to place our bets on people. And one thing that we wanted to be really mindful of is... Um, not cutting too deep or not cutting to bone, I guess, as the as the saying goes. And so um, when we were updating our operating plan after uh, shelter in place um, went into effect, we were really thoughtful about all of our all of our team and what areas we really wanted to hold on to our people, those folks that were um, going to be far more costly to replace than to make sure that um, we kept them on board and, and kept them with us, even if it um, meant misalignment in maybe what could be traditional metrics across um, different organizations. What would some of those metrics be, for instance? Just yeah, sure. On on the sales side, for example, um, all of the sales efficiency metrics. And so as we think about things like um, uh, customer acquisition costs and payback period, well, those metrics are really based on optimization of headcount against um, uh, productivity. And what we didn't want to do was over-rotate you know, have a headcount reduction in our sales organization that would come back to bite us later on. We wanted to make sure we retained all of our best folks. And also given that it takes so long for our for sales reps to ramp, we knew that if we went made too much of an overcorrection, that's not something that you can just simply go hire and replace. It takes those people quite a long time. Uh, to ramp. And so that was one area we spent a lot of care. But but at the sacrifice of perhaps our customer acquisition costs and payback. So our sales efficiency ratios um, looking out of line for a period of time, but we hope that with an economic recovery, um, those will come back into alignment with historical benchmarking. And given what you just described, it would seem like the organization is likely to come out stronger, better with a maybe a different way, a, a different lens of looking at the world. Um, am I overstating that or how, how would no, you? No, I think that's accurate. I mean, when we're talking at the executive staff level, it's um, it, from a mindset of accelerating around the curve. Um, and so I think our CEO has really coined that phrase, but that's the lens that we're looking at is what investments can we make now um, that will allow us not only to come out of this better, but accelerate around the curve um, and allow us when when uh, we have changes in the macro environment to be um, tremendously successful. I want to ask you about not just non-financial metrics before moving on here and, and the net promoter score. I have to believe it's been part of your world over time. 
in when you uh, first joined the company, going back when you were consulting with the company, uh, it was something you paid attention to, uh, or no, or maybe maybe it used to be more important, but now you have a new way of looking at the world. Uh, what would you, <laughs> tell us about your take on the net promoter score and whether it's you view it as an important primary metric for you? We do. We do. I would say we um, have evolved as a company to to place more value on net promoter promoter score and in particular, um, making sure we're getting as much feedback as possible and also segmenting net promoter score by um, type of user. And so we would expect different, potentially expect different net promoter scores based on um, a management type user for us versus an individual contributor type user for us. But yes, I think uh, it's definitely valuable to look at net promoter score and uh, relative to customer value and especially um, as a subscription, a recurring revenue company, um, almost even more important than acquiring new customers is retaining your customer base. And so net promoter score certainly helps us assess that and any risk around customer retention that we could potentially have. Okay. Thank you. want to jump to our finance strategic moment question where we get to ask you to look back over your career and just share one. <laughs> I'm sure there are many uh, moments of strategic insight that you've had along the way, uh, but we'd like you to just perhaps illustrate one for us where your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk, whatever it might have been. What comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, sure. I actually had this aha moment at a board meeting um, where I was just chit-chatting with one of our board members after the meeting, and he was describing to me at a prior company of his that um, just giving some advice around having a financial philosophy that can be shared out and really be the mantra for how we think about financial strategy as a company. And he called it COD, which um, stood for control our destiny. Um, and so I adopted that really quickly. And in every decision that we make, we're really able to lean in on that as a simple theme, whether we're in an accelerated growth time or whether in a, we're in a recessionary time. It's just this um, uh, thought around controlling the destiny of the company. And it's actually become really a thing, if you will, at Clary, where um, we talk about it at our all hands meetings. Um, and it's become kind of a, a lighthearted, um, fun segment where we talk about the financial philosophy of the company, but we show this image of kind of a, a not particularly beautiful looking codfish, but it gives people that reaction and that um, connection to the financial operations of the company. And so people reference it and they talk about Clary, the COD um, financial philosophy. And so it's really caught on and it's now kind of part of the financial persona of the company and, and kind of the North Star. And so I think that's been something totally unexpected that really caught on um, and really rounds out all of the finance strategy, um, not one particular finance moment, but it's, uh, again, allowed us to really have um, a theme for, for how we drive financial operations. If we want to get much more specific about um, one particular um, strategic moment, I, I think 
the most recent that comes to mind was driving the shift in operating plan um, as we went into this new COVID environment. Um, we we shifted our operating plan within three weeks. We did a complete replan, including board approvals. So um, strangely enough, we had our operating plan approved by the board of the directors the very day um, shelter in place was announced in California. And so we immediately went into replan mode and then from start to finish had a new plan out in three weeks. And that uh, required a lot of financial leadership um, and strategic thinking on how our choices in that replan process would impact the company both short and long term. So you talked a little bit earlier about um, finding ways to reorganize pieces of our go-to-market teams to optimize the way that we sell and think about um, customer satisfaction. So that was one big change that we made. Um, we made a change to how um, we were structuring sales to our current install base. And we did that as part of our uh, operating plan restructure, which I think worked out really, really well for us. Um, but we were also able to keep a strong focus on the human capital aspect as well, retaining our, our key employees in areas um, and not not setting ourselves up into the longer term um, by cutting too deep, for example. And um, and the last thing that, that we really did uh, was put our financial bets in areas that we felt would have the most valuable long-term return on investment for the company. And so I was really able to play a big part in thinking through longer-term strategy, how we optimize the capital that we have currently, what we wanted, uh, how long we wanted our capital to last, what we wanted the balance sheet to look like coming out of this year in hopes of a economic recovery coming out of into next year. When we return, CFO Alyssa Filter enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Once more, I'd like to ask our guests to look back as we uh, we enter the mentoring round and, and think back to that first week, that first quarter, they had the CFO title and how life had changed for them. And if they could go back and offer themselves just one piece of advice, one, you know, what would it be? And again, um, you had this interesting segue from already being part of the company, more or less, I suppose, uh, to entering that room. Uh, but um, anything come to mind, if you were to go back in time and give yourself some advice, what would it be? Um, I think I would say expect the unexpected. Um, when I walked through the building, I had 
a little bit of an idea, the breadth of what my role could potentially look like, but really even at that point had no idea. And I think there's been a lot more publicity lately about how the role of the CFO is evolving and how they're getting asked to take on um, much more um, wide scope of responsibility, be much more involved in strategic planning, have much more of a footprint across other organizations like um, HR, IT, et cetera. And so I think if I look back, it is be kind to yourself, expect the unexpected, and just enjoy the learning and the opportunity to um, explore other disciplines. Now, we, we like to have our guests reflect a little bit on the personal side of things and try to identify either a habit or part of their daily routine that they believe in some ways has contributed to their professional success. So it's it's whatever, <laughs> it's kept your life on an even keel because you always stop for this coffee, whatever it might be, or you exercise. Frequently, it's exercise. But what would you share with us? I am religious about my sleep. I am an eight hour a night person. I don't give up my sleep for anything. And people sometimes laugh and don't believe me, but I will I will exit a call to make sure that I get my eight hours of sleep. And I think um, given my early farming background, I am an early to bed, early to rise girl. And I find that I am most productive and have the most mental clarity early in the morning. And so I like to go to bed early, get my hour, eight hours of sleep, get up early with a really sharp, clear mind um, and set myself up for the day. And of course, a little Phil's coffee never hurt either. <laughs> is there is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Doesn't have to be a business book. Um, one book that I have found really impactful, um, not specific to finance, um, but it's called Drive by Daniel Pink, and um, it's it's been really uh, pivotal for me, both from a personal and professional standpoint. So it was recommended to me. Um, by a professional coach that I've been working with for many years. And um, it has simple themes around understanding what drives people and what motivates them. And so in times in my career where I've been struggling with motivation, I've really leaned back on the themes of that book to understand what am I lacking? What needs to change for me to to bring that spark back and then also apply that to the people that are working with me or for me. Um, when, when I feel like someone's a little off track, really thinking about the themes of that book and how do I re-engage people and think about um, what area might be lacking that's crucial to their motivation and their drive. And then not a book, but I um, also uh, always read the Thomas Tunga's blog, um, which I think is a must for any finance leader. I think uh, lots of incredibly valuable insights coming out of that blog. Well, great. Uh, great. We haven't had that mentioned before on the podcast, as far as I recall. So thank you. Uh, two, two interesting selections for us. And uh, we're up to our final question, I'm afraid, uh, where we ask you to look forward this time and share with us your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? 
It, yes, in this current environment, 12 months just feels so hard to look out. I think um, the answer would have been so much different six months ago to look out 12 months. I think how we're th how I'm personally thinking about the next 12 months is preparing the company to accelerate around the curve, which I talked about, and how do we uh, drive financial strategy um, that enables the company to be set up to accelerate in the case of a, a change in macro environment. And then staying true to our financial strategy theme of controlling our destiny, as well as prudently investing for the long term of the company. Alyssa Filter, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thanks so much for having me. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.